Welcome to the Vista. It is wonderful to see you here today. If we haven't met yet, my name is Austin Fisher. I get to serve here as one of our lead pastors, and we are so glad that you joined us, whether you're here in person or if you're joining us online. We are so glad that you're with us today. Uh, before we jump in, a brief little bit of housekeeping. Uh, so when we regathered for the first time here on June the 21st, which feels like many moons ago at this point, uh, Dave and I got up here, and you know, we we acknowledge the obvious. We acknowledge that we're in the middle of a very difficult and complicated season. And that, frankly, it's a season that's particularly complicated for a church like the Vista because we've got people here at Vista who just come from all across the spectrum. It's one of the things I love most about the Vista. We've got conservatives and progressives and moderates and libertarians. You know, we got people who, who think we shouldn't be gathering yet and people who think they sh- we shouldn't have to wear masks when we gather. Like, you name it, and we got it here at Vista. It's one of the things I love most about our church. And so when we regathered for the first time, right, I told you that we're in a season where we will all be constantly tempted to take offense to complain, to get fixated on asserting our rights and preferences. And I told you that if we gave into that temptation, it would be a catastrophic failure for the church because it'll tell the world that Jesus doesn't really make any difference. I mean, yeah, if we're just, just blaming and bickering and bailing out when things get tough, then we're really no different than the world. And apparently Jesus doesn't really make any difference. But I believe that Jesus makes a difference. Do you? I know you do. That's why you're here. You believe that Jesus makes a difference? Okay, and so when you feel the irritation rising, which it's going to do at some point because this is an irritating situation, let's not give in to blaming and bickering and bailing, but instead let's embrace the opportunity to gladly sacrifice our rights and preferences because one of the best things about being a Christian is that Jesus has freed you from your bondage to yourself and given you something bigger to live for than yourself. Amen? And we've done a great job with it. Right? We've been proud, but it's going to be a constant temptation. So we're going to be constantly reminding us of the opportunity we have to let go of our rights and preferences. All right. Today we're in the third week of a series called How to Be, a series where we're discussing an epidemic, an epidemic called hurry sickness. What's hurry sickness? You know what hurry sickness is. Pathological busyness, a condition in which our lives are filled with more and more things to do and less and less time to do them And we've basically all got it. You know, no nasal swab necessary. If you're a modern person, you've got hurry sickness. That's the bad news. But the good news is that it doesn't have to be this way. You don't have to live a heavy and a hurried life. We started the series off with three sentences from Jesus that I told you could change your life. Not kidding. If you would learn how to receive them. That's Matthew 11, 28 through 30. I'm going to speak these sentences over you again. Take a deep breath. Try to receive these sentences. It's Jesus talking. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke, it's easy, and my burden is light. And that's what this series is about. Learning to heal our hurry sickness by submitting to the easy yoke 
of Christ. How to form rhythms of rest and habits of slowing that teach us how to be the children of God that Jesus says we already are. All right, we're going to pick things back up here today by going back to the end of the beginning. Okay, Genesis 2. We'll read verses 1 through 3. It'll be on the screen. It is very easy to find, though, in your Bibles if you would like to look there. On first page, Genesis 2, verses 1 through 3. It says, Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all of their host. By the seventh day God completed his work, which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all of his work, which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day, and he sanctified it, because in it he rested from all of his work, which he, God, had created and made. Okay, Genesis 2, verses 1 through 3. So here in Genesis 2, we have the end of the creation story, right? The end of the beginning. Right? And you remember the creation story, right? The first five days, God spends creating the sun and the moon and the stars and the birds and the fish and the trees. And then on day six, God creates us, Adam and Eve, homo sapiens, the human race. And then on day seven, God creates Nothing. Not a thing on the seventh day. In fact, God not only does not create anything on the seventh day, but he actually goes so far as to set the seventh day apart and bless it and sanctify it and make it holy. The creation of the cosmos, right, of the sun and the moon and the stars and all the suns and all the moons and all the stars and all of the galaxies builds up to a day of rest. Which brings us to a question. Why did God rest on the seventh day? Was he tired? You know, something else to do? So according to most estimates, our galaxy, the Milky Way, has around 100 billion stars. Now that's a lot of stars. And I don't mean to be that guy, but I can't help but wonder how many more stars God could have created if he just hadn't taken a day off. I mean, God did a good job in six days, don't get me wrong, but I mean, can you imagine how many more stars there could have been? I mean, when I look up into the night sky, I see a lot of blank canvas. There are around 10,000 species of birds, 30,000 species of fish, and around 950,000 species of insects on planet Earth, which kind of sucks. And around 10,000 new species are discovered every single day. You would think we got them all by now. 10,000 new species, as I said, every day. Every single year, 10,000 new species of animals. And again, that's a lot of critters, right? It's a whole lot of critters. And I don't mean to sound unimpressed, but I can't help but wonder how many more creatures God could have created if he just had a stronger work ethic and showed up to the office on a Sunday. We could all be riding unicorns to work if God had just showed up on a Sunday. <laughs> Show of hands, New Vista logo? Anyone? I, I think so. We'll get Schindler on the t-shirts. So again, Pax, you like that picture of your dad? It's pretty good. Yeah. So again, why did God rest on the seventh day? Well, here's my working theory. Maybe God rested because he wanted to. Hmm? Maybe God rested because aren't a hundred billion stars enough? And what good are a hundred billion more if you don't take the time to sit down, slow down, 
and watch them burn. So, a couple of years ago, I, uh, I did something pretty spectacular. I don't mean to brag, but it's something that's probably only happened once or twice in the history of the world. Are you guys ready for this? A couple of years ago, I accomplished everything on my to-do list. Hold your applause. It's embarrassing. Stop. I'm not a hero. I remember like it was yesterday. Uh, it was a Thursday in the summer of 2018. Got up at 5.30. was in the office at 6. Spent the first three hours finishing footnotes on a book. Every bit as boring as it sounds. Uh, I was preaching that Sunday, so spent the rest of the morning putting finishing touches on the sermon, you know, getting it in the right place. Then there was lunch, but I skipped lunch because I needed to finish switching car insurance policies. Got finished with that. The rest of the afternoon had uh, meetings with staff direct reports and then some marital counseling. Finished that up, and then I responded to all the necessary emails for the weekend and even performed the Herculean task of getting my email inbox down to zero. Have you ever seen an email inbox at zero? No, I'm walking on water at this point. I'm moonwalking on water at this point. It's only 5.30. I leave the office and I go get my boys because my wife had a girls' night, but we're also hosting a baby shower at our house the next day, so I had some yard work to do, so I mow with my toddler in my lap while dinner's cooking in the oven. Go in, get dinner, feed the boys, play with the boys, bathe the boys, read the boys, put the boys to bed. And as I'm closing the boys' bedroom door and going down the stairs, it dawns on me, I just accomplished everything. I just had a day where I accomplished everything. Once upon a time, two years ago, I accomplished everything. And would you like to know what that changed about my life? Nothing. Not a thing. Nobody threw me a parade when I walked down the stairs. You know, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Nobody except me even knew that I had accomplished everything. And when I woke up the next morning, I just had a brand new to-do list waiting for me the next day, just as long as the day before. Once upon a time, I accomplished everything, and nothing changed. Which brings us back to God resting on the seventh day. Right? The Sabbath, the creation story, it ends with rest and delight, with God taking a break, putting his feet up, and watching those hundred billion stars burn in the night sky, because rest and delight are the goal of creation. Okay? And let this sink in for a second. If Sabbath is the goal of creation, which it is in the Genesis stories, then that means that everything that exists, exists so that we can slow down and enjoy it. The sun and the moon and the stars and the birds and the fish and the trees and everything that has ever existed, God didn't create all that stuff so he could be busy. God created all that stuff so that he could enjoy it. And can you imagine what it's like to be God? Maybe some of us think we could more easily than others. Nobody to impress. No deadlines to meet. Nothing but infinite time on your hands. And infinite delight in what you have made. Now imagine what you would do today. What would you do today if you had nobody to impress? No deadlines to meet. No to-do list. Imagine what you would do today if all you had to do today was enjoy God's good creation. Because believe it or not, God has actually commanded you to do so. If you've got your Bibles, let's turn to Exodus 20. Just a few pages to the right there in your Bible. Exodus 20. We'll read verses uh, 8 through 11, I believe. Yep, it'll be here on the screen. All right, this is God speaking through Moses. It says, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all of your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God, and in it you shall not do any work, you 
or your son or your daughter or your male or female servant or even your cattle or your male sojourner who stays with you. For in the six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them. And he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and he made it holy. All right, so here in Exodus 20, we're in a portion of Scripture known as the Ten Commandments, right? These ten laws that God gives the people of Israel, not because God likes to make up rules and then see if people will follow them, but because God loves to see his people flourish. Okay, and this is really important to understand. God's laws are not arbitrary tests of your willpower. Rather, God's laws are explanations of reality. Okay, and here's what that means. If God says, hey, don't jump off a hundred-story building, and you jump off a hundred-story building, you're going to get hurt, right? It's not going to go great for you. But not because God decided to punish you for breaking one of his laws. God doesn't grab you from the air and throw you down on the ground. No, rather, if you jump off a hundred-story building, what's going to happen? You're going to hurt yourself because you violated reality. And so when God says, hey, don't jump off a building, he's not creating an arbitrary law in order to test you, but rather he is explaining reality in order to protect you. And this goes for all of God's laws. Rather than testing our willpower, God's laws explain reality in order to protect us and help us flourish. This is what God's laws are about. So let's apply this now to the Sabbath. The fourth commandment in the Ten Commandments is the command to remember the Sabbath, is to take a day to rest and enjoy God's good creation. And it's often been remarked that remembering the Sabbath is the only one of the Ten Commandments that we regularly brag about breaking. I mean, when's the last time you brag about disrespecting your parents? Maybe this morning if you're in middle school, but besides that, probably been a while. When's the last time you bragged about lying, stealing, cheating, adultery, murdering somebody? I don't know about you, but it's been a long time since I bragged about murdering somebody. But when's the last time you bragged about being busy? By how much stuff you had to do this week? By how much you got going on? We love being busy. And the only thing we love more than being busy is complaining about being busy, right? Boasting about our busyness, y'all, it is a national pastime for Americans. I mean, you just asked me how my week was, and what am I going to say to you nine times out of ten? I'm going to say, oh, it was a great week, fantastic. I was just really busy, by which I mean, hey, I'm kind of a big deal. I'm important. I've got all these important things to do. Look at my to-do list. I love the way Eugene Peterson puts this. He says, I am busy because I'm vain. I want to appear important. Significant. What better way than to be busy? The incredible hours, the crowded schedule, and the heavy demands on my time are proof to myself and all who will notice that I'm important. Now, I live in a society in which crowded schedules and harassed conditions are evidence of importance. So I develop a crowded schedule and harassed conditions. When others notice, they acknowledge my significance and my vanity is fed. Mm. So God creates in order to stop and enjoy what he's created. And then God creates us so that we can stop and enjoy what God has created. And then God commands us to stop and Sabbath, right? Stop, drop, and Sabbath, right? So that we can remember 
what we were made for, not to test us, but to explain our reality, to remind us that we need that. But by and large, we haven't remembered the Sabbath, which means we've forgotten what we're made for. And so what kind of world do we create when we forget to pause and remember what we were made for? Busy, bored, distracted, and inside. If I had to come up with four words to describe what ills modern culture, I think these would be my four words. Now, we've already talked a little bit about busy, right? How we need to work less than any humans in the history of the world thanks to technology, and yet we choose to work more than any humans in the history of the world. Kind of depressing. We talked about that one, so let's talk a little bit about bored, distracted, and inside. Bored, right? We're bored. You all know this. You're bored bored right now. We're all bored. The average American male now spends 10,000 hours playing video games by age 21. By the time he is 21, the average American male spent 5% of his life, he's sleeping for the other 10%, 5% of his life playing video games. Guys, do you know how many awesome things you could accomplish and master with 10,000 hours of investment? I mean, you could, I got a short list here. You could become a world-class violinist, a scratch golfer, a professional treehouse constructor, mountaineering champion, woodworker, uh, bread baker, beer maker. Don't drink it till you're 21, but you, you get the idea. So you could do any or all that stuff. Or you could rack up a massive kill count on Call of Duty, shooting fake bullets at fake people out of a fake gun in a fake battle. Do you want to know the number one reason why teenagers say they look at pornography? Because they're bored. It's the number one reason, far and above, teenagers say they look at porn. They're bored. The most entertained generation in the history of the world. And they don't have anything better to do than to look at pornography on the phones we give them when they're 14 years old. And maybe for you it's not video games and porn, but it's something, you know? Scrolling Facebook or Instagram... Binging Netflix, mainlining your favorite news show from the comfort of your couch. We're either running around busy or we're lying around bored. Those are the two postures of the modern human, the only two postures we really know. And that brings us to Distracted. Uh, In his new stand-up special, Jerry Seinfeld, I don't know if we have any Seinfeld fans, big fan here, he talks about how modern people never want to be where they actually are. All right, let's check it out. You're at work, you want to get home. You're home, I'm working all week, I gotta get out. You're out, it's late, I gotta get back. I gotta get up, I gotta get to the airport. When are we getting on the plane? Plane takes off. When's the plane gonna land? Plane lands. Why don't they open the door so we can get out? Nobody wants to be anywhere. Nobody likes anything. We're cranky, we're irritable. And we're dealing with it by constantly changing locations. Anybody else? Oh, Lord. Nobody wants to be anywhere. Nobody wants to do anything. We're cranky, we're irritable, and we're all dealing with it by constantly changing locations. We're all working very hard just to kill some time. I know that's got me dead to rights because I can be chronically distracted, you know, buzzing around like a bug from light to light to light to light. Uh, In his New York Times bestselling book called The Shallows, What the Internet is Doing to Our Brains, what a great title, Nicholas Carr says this, 
the internet seems to be chipping away at my capacity for concentration. At once I was like a scuba diver in the sea of words. Now I zip along the surface like a guy on a jet ski. And that brings us to inside. So according to the World Health Organization, the average person now spends 93% of their time indoors. 93% of your life you're going to spend inside. Now that is an astonishingly sad statistic. But it's even more astonishing when you realize how quick and severe a change this has been for the human race. I mean, y'all, I know this is going to come as a surprise to some of us, but like, we used to be an outdoor species, right? For the overwhelming majority of human existence, we spent the overwhelming majority of our time outside. Thousands and thousands of years. But now, over the last few hundred years, we have not only become an indoor species, but a hyper-indoor species. And it is, plain and simple, not very good for us. Take the Psalms, for example. Okay? Have you ever noticed how, like most of the Psalms, are basically just some dude looking around at the world, at the oceans and the stars and the forests and the trees. It's just somebody looking around the world and going, Dang, God, all of this stuff is awesome. That's half the Psalms right there. You don't have to read them. Take Psalm 65, for example. It's one of my favorites. I read it every Friday morning. Here's what it says. God, you visit the earth and you cause it to overflow. You greatly enrich it. The stream of God is full of water. You prepare their grain, for thus you prepare the earth. You water its furrows abundantly. You settle its ridges. You soften it with showers. You bless its growth. You've crowned the year with your bounty, and your paths drip with fatness. The pastures of the wilderness drip, and all the hills gird themselves in rejoicing. The meadows are clothed with flocks, and the valleys are covered with grain. They shout for joy. Yes, they sing. Again, this is like every other psalm. Just people looking around at the world and going, God, I can't believe you created all this stuff. It's unbelievable. And there have been countless studies done that just confirm what the psalmist is saying. Like, for example, and this is unbelievable to me, when you're in nature for just 20 minutes, 20 minutes, your cortisol levels, which is a stress hormone, begin dropping significantly. Which means that when you go outside, the stress inside literally starts evaporating. It's like creation absorbs your stress, literally. Or numerous studies have also shown that beauty is one of the best remedies for trauma. Right, so if you've got trauma, and who doesn't, then you know you should talk to a therapist or a pastor or a friend or a counselor. You should do all that stuff. You should. But do you know what else you should do? Just go for a hike, man. Throw some rocks in a creek. Hug a tree. There are things worse than hugging a tree. It's a good idea to hug a tree every once in a while. Lie in a hammock and feel the sun and wind on your face. We're hurried. And we're hurting. And this big, beautiful world God has created is part of the medicine that we need. C.S. Lewis, famous Christian author, he would get home from work every single day and the first thing that he would do is take off his shoes and to go walk around in his back, backyard barefoot for 30 minutes. Feel the blades of grass beneath his feet, the firm, stable earth below him. And that's a habit that'll keep you sane in an insane world. Let's end with this. The Sabbath is a day of rest and celebration. A day to be unhurried instead of busy, curious instead of bored, 
interested instead of distracted and outside instead of inside, weather permitting in the Texas heat, of course. And it's not a suggestion. It's a commandment. And if you violate this commandment, okay, God's not going to punish you. He's not going to shoot down the lightning bolt. That's not how God rolls. No, if you violate this commandment, you will punish yourself and everybody around you. Everybody you're around and influence because you're going to be unhealthy. You will. Parents, um, your kids don't need you to give them a hurried childhood where you shuttle them around from thing to thing to thing to thing to thing also that they can maybe get a scholarship one day that will maybe pay for a single anatomy textbook. That's not what your, that's not what your kids need. I mean, parents... If rampant depression among our children, right, and the fastest growing market for antidepressants is among preschoolers, we mentioned that a couple weeks ago. If rampant depression among our children is the cost of getting ahead, and it is, then is falling behind like really the worst thing? I'm worried, I'm worried my kids are not gonna have depression like I do. Come on. Rather, our kids need us to raise them in an unhurried, healthy home. And one of the best ways to do that is to practice the Sabbath. All that to say, Sabbath is a day that's meant to bleed into all of your other days. To remind you that you can't get it all done. I promise you can't. I did it one time and it didn't do anything. <laughs> you can't get it all done because you're not supposed to get it all done. Because getting it all done isn't the point. No, enjoying what God has done is the point of all this stuff. You were not made to be busy. And you were not made to impress people. And you were not made to be in a hurry. You were made to enjoy God's very good creation. Right? To sit down beside your maker and watch a hundred billion stars burn. Let's pray together. Gracious God, thank you for this day where we can slow down a little bit because we are a busy people and we're so proud that we're busy. We kind of hate it, but we kind of love it because it makes us feel important and valuable, like we're contributing, have a place. And so we pray, God, that you would um, wean us off of our addiction to busyness and the praise of others that you would help us slow down to remember that, man, we can't get it all done. There's too much. And getting it all done really isn't that important. Getting it all done isn't the point. Enjoying what you, through Jesus, have done, that's the point. And so we pause now to just remember, to remember who we are and what we were created for, to be your children to make time for each other. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.